Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scripture Chronicles. This is the podcast where we explore the unified story of the Bible. I'm Dylan. Joining me today is Corey Howitt. Who else would it be? Corey, how are you doing today? Doing good. Ready to actually finish up Genesis today. To actually finish up Genesis today. Those are some crazy words. I never thought we would get to this point, but yet... Here we are, the true Shalohadios Genesis, the wrap-up episode, the creme de la creme, the final episode in our Genesis series, and we're going to be moving on after this. So guys, as is normal, we're going to actually be covering stuff that we've talked about in previous episodes in this one, but a little different in this one. You can actually listen to this as a standalone episode. You do not have to go back and listen to every single other episode preceding this one in order to understand what's going on here. We're actually going to be giving a really high couple thousand foot view of the entire book of Genesis. So we're going to go through it kind of beginning to end real quick just to give you a basic understanding of what the entire book is about and the entire narrative flow of the book of Genesis. So with that, last week we actually ended up going all the way through the very end. We talked about chapters 48 through 50. We are not going to summarize in this episode. If you are curious about that, go ahead and listen to last week's episode. In this one, we're going to jump straight into the meat of it. Let's get into Genesis and start talking at kind of a couple thousand foot view and go all the way back to the very beginning where we started. So Corey's going to take it away. Corey, let's do it. One exercise that I found super helpful when going through Bible college, um, I talked about our professor quite a bit already, but Ray Lubeck, um, something he says is good to do in books, and I've found it extremely helpful, this in my personal life and in my teaching life, um, is to chart out the book. You know, if you uh, watch Bible Project videos or listen to their podcast, they do that exact same thing because they also learned under Ray Lubeck. Um, so as Dylan said, let's look at Genesis from a big point of view. And if you were to chart out Genesis, um, there's a few ways to do it. Um, but starting thematically, um, there's three very clear sections to Genesis. Um, there's Genesis 1 and 2. And that's just the intro. And in that intro, we see the creation of all things. So all the cosmos, the entire universe is created in Genesis 1 and 2. And um, everything is good in Genesis 1 and 2. And the other cool thing about uh, these first two chapters of Genesis is that um, besides just being an intro to Genesis, it's also an intro to the entire Bible. And actually the first episode of our podcast, The Scripture Chronicles, we compared the first two chapters of Genesis to the last three chapters of Revelation and saw that the very beginning matches up almost identically with the very end. Okay, but that's the first section is the intro. We'll get a little bit more into it, um, but I want to look at the next section. The next section will be Genesis, Genesis 3 through 11, and that's the fall. And the fall is known as Genesis chapter 3, but... Um, for the next few chapters, down to chapter 11, it continues to fall. So 
We have that section as the fall and falling. Things just get from bad to worse. And then the last section is a really big section, uh, chapters 12 through 50. And chapters 12 through 50 focus in on um, the blessed scene. Because remember, at the very beginning, um, well, I should say at the beginning of the fall section, we have God promising to restore the fallen creation. And uh, the rest of the book of Genesis, that is from chapters 12 through 50, is following that seed, the blessed seed, and it's going to be following Abraham's family, right? So those are the three big sections. Um, so let's just go back into the intro really quick and see a few highlights that are really important um, to the intro. And... Um, one thing that's important is that God creates. And the way in which God creates is using words. So we see God speak 10 times on the seven days of creation, right? Well, really six days of creating, but there's 10 sayings or speech acts that happen. And, that, and that's going to be pretty important for um, other stories to come where God does things in 10 words or 10 sayings. Um, Dylan, uh, what else do you want to highlight in this intro? Yeah, so the intro, the creation narrative is particularly important in introducing the entire book. And so like we've gone over in our previous episode covering this, we believe that the scriptures in general, and Genesis in particular, are meant to be read as a unified narrative. And so the very beginning, the introduction, is ultimately setting the key elements that we need to be paying attention to in reading this book. So in Genesis uh, 1 and 2, we have those elements being laid out, and ultimately we see a good creation being created, but no good story is complete without its conflict. And so in Genesis 1 and 2, we have Adam and Eve created to be in the image of God. And we talked about that quite extensively. We had an entire episode dedicated to it. But ironically, the serpent comes and tempts these people. And even though they were already in the image of God, he tempts them with something that is pretty innate to the human condition as it now stands. And that is he promises that they can do what is right in their own eyes. They can be the decision makers. They can be the ones that actually take wisdom into their own hands and then make the decisions for themselves. And in that way, then they can be like God. Ironically, they are already like God. However, the woman and in turn the man opt for this promise of wisdom being taken into their own hands. And thus the conflict of the entire book unfolds. So now you have humans that were like God, that are no longer like God in the same way that they were created to be, taking wisdom into their own hands and making judgment calls. Instead of relying on God's wisdom like they should be, they're relying on their own wisdom, making judgment calls for themselves. And so that's kind of the intro and then getting into the fall and falling section. So we talked about the conflict just now. and. Um, in that conflict, we see that the people, like Dylan was saying, 
choose to do what's right in their own eyes instead of what God lays out as true wisdom that is depending on God for said wisdom. And so since people choose their own wisdom, um, and that, that wisdom in Genesis 2 and 3 is set up um, in these two trees, right? And so they choose the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which we touched on in, in that episode quite some time ago, meaning that um, while good and evil and the knowledge of it is a good thing to have, um, God was going to be the one who gave it to them, but they wanted it for themselves. Again, like Dylan just said, um, but the cool thing is, um, as you get into the fall, after Adam and Eve choose to disobey God, the first thing that God does to respond is talk about the seed that will redeem the fall. Um, and again, we talked about this a while ago too, but God in his first words after this, he talks to the serpent first. So before he even deals out a curse to man or woman for ruining his good creation, he tells the serpent that there will be a man that is a human being that come from Eve somewhere down her line who will crush Satan, right? And so we have the start of this really prominent theme through the rest of Genesis. That is, who is going to be the guy, the seed of the woman who will crush Satan and will reverse the curse that Adam and Eve put upon us? All right, and then we continue to see things spiral downhill. Um, Adam and Eve have a couple of sons, and the older son, Cain, kills the younger, right? And then we see from Cain's line um, come just guys who will continue to murder like their ancestor, Cain. Um, and then in that, we see Noah come up. And we're like, all right, Noah, God's going to start over with him, and it's all going to be good. But even the guy that is chosen in Noah, whose name was Rest, he couldn't get the job done. After the whole flood resides, he gets drunk and is sleeping naked in his tent. And his son shamefully um, shows his brothers his nakedness. And it's just a, a mess from this family who will carry on all of human life. And... We go all the way down to the Tower of Babylon, where, again, people do what's right in their own eyes. They try to build up to God uh, in their own ways, in their own understanding and how to do it, instead of just seeking God. Um, so what ends up happening in their pursuit of building this high tower up to God in the heavens is they want to glorify themselves instead of glorifying the one being in all of existence that's worthy of it, and that is the creator God, right? So we go from people doing what's right in their own eyes to more of that, and we end up with the Tower of Babylon where people are just pumping themselves up with pride and even more so um, running away from God's instructions in how to approach him. Yeah, so to sum up what we just went over real quick, 30 seconds. God creates humans. God creates a good place for humans, the temple 
Eden, which we didn't touch on right now, but we touched on in our episode. He places them there. He puts two trees there and gives them the choice. Choose my wisdom or choose your own wisdom. Ultimately, they choose their own wisdom. Unfortunately, I jumped a little far ahead, so we didn't have enough time to talk about the trees. But two trees, God's wisdom, human's wisdom. They choose their own wisdom. And that ends with them falling, 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 and just getting to this point of the Tower of Babylon. This is the worst possible version of humanity. They're killing themselves. You have people boasting about how many people they've killed. They build a tower in order that they can become a god to themselves. So like Hoist, instead of worshiping the god of the universe, the one person that actually deserves the worship, they choose to worship themselves and kill each other. And so We've gotten the conflict now to a point where it is dire. It is crazy. Like God has already wiped out humanity and humanity's come back just as evil as they ever were. So there needs to be a new plan. Fortunately for us, there is one. And God is not surprised by anything that has happened so far. He's not surprised that humans chose their own wisdom. We see from the capital T blessing in Genesis 3.15, that God wasn't surprised at Adam and Eve's sin. He wasn't surprised that humans continue to sin even after the flood. He even promised that he wasn't going to flood the earth again, knowing that he probably would have good cause to do so. And instead, chooses to enact that blessing that he started or mentioned in Genesis 3.15. Enter Abraham and his family. So starting in Genesis 12, all the way through the end of the book then, Instead of focusing just on humanity and the human condition, we zero in on one family, the family of Abraham. And it starts off with God actually giving a blessing to Abraham for one key reason. God chose him. That's really it. Abraham didn't do anything in particular to warrant this blessing. As a matter of fact, he, just like anybody else, is just as much a sinner as the next guy. That being said, God chooses through this people group, not because there's anything special about Abraham or his descendants, God's going to build a nation for himself. And so he blesses Abraham and he says that through Abraham, a multitude of people are going to come. They're going to be more numerous than all the stars and things like this. And he's actually going to bless the entire world through Abraham's descendants. And so what he does, that is God, he calls Abraham out of the land of his father. And so this is actually Ur of the Chaldees. And even though the text in this particular section kind of seems to read as though it's Haran, it's actually very important thematically that he's called out of Ur. And it's later mentioned by uh, the author of Genesis in Genesis 15, 7, that it is in fact Ur, it's confirmed. And so he's actually called out of Ur of the Chaldees, which is synonymous with Babylon. And so when all of the people of the world are creating this tower and getting scattered by God at Babylon, Abraham is called out of all this muck and he's blessed by God and he's given the capital T blessing. And now we're really asking the question, Are any of these guys the guy that's going to restore humanity that was first mentioned in Genesis 3.15? And so we've asked that question throughout this podcast up until this point. Is this the guy? And then whenever a new guy comes on the scene, maybe that's the guy. So in Abraham, 
he believes God. It's accredited to him as righteousness. And so Abraham's faith is what is righteousness to him. It's not his works. Nevertheless, Abraham, like I've already said, is just as much a sinner as everybody else. And he blows it time and time again. We saw that consistently. And so Abraham is not the guy, but there's now hope. Yeah, again, the author is very clear. Abraham is not the guy. Um, but while we're going through the story of Abraham, there's this great promise of his son, Isaac. And while Isaac's promised for like a dozen chapters, he only gets a few chapters of screen time. And then it's like, all right, it's not Isaac. Even though he's pretty good character, not a whole lot of bad said about him, but there's enough said where we know that he's not perfect. Therefore, he's not the guy who's going to reverse the curse. We see Isaac give birth to two sons, Esau and Jacob. We see Jacob be blessed and chosen by God before they were even born. But Jacob was just a train wreck of a character, um, seemingly couldn't do anything right. It definitely wasn't Jacob. And then we turn to his sons, and his sons are all like him, if not worse. I mean, almost definitely worse. And so all these. Um, 12 sons of Jacob just um, can't seem to do anything right. And we get through the end of the book, focusing on his second to youngest son, Joseph, who isn't a guy, but yet he doesn't seem to do a whole lot wrong and suffers a great deal, um, although not doing anything to deserve it. So we have someone who is unjustly suffering and persecuted. And by the end of the book, we get these blessings. Um, in chapter 49, Jacob blesses all of his sons. And we see that the blessed line, oddly enough, is going to go through Judah. Although he only gets like a chapter of screen time in chapter 38. And that uh, one chapter on Judah wasn't a good picture of Judah. Um, but we see in chapter 49, the Messiah will be a king that comes out of the line of Judah. But Joseph, in his blessing that his father gives him, we see that Joseph is a type of Christ. That is, one who suffers um, unjustly, right? Kind of like when Jesus came the first time. And so um, that's the, the big idea throughout um, this last section of Genesis is that through all these different sons of Abraham, we're sh we should be expectantly looking for the guy to come out of them. But yet we know we're going to be disappointed. Um, but we should be following this line. Right. And so that that's kind of the the big structure of the book is these three sections. Um, and to kind of phase from that into the, the next way you can even look at the book is something that we were talking about as um, this verse would come up. Um, it's a verse that was repeated a lot where it says, these are the generations of, and we said that these are good um, markers of separation throughout the book that the author put in there. Um, and so again, the, we just went through the three big sections that break up themes. And now we're going to go through um, 
not through in depth, but just kind of skim over how the author plants in this line. These are the generations of. Right? And so the author plants in this phrase 11 times throughout the book of Genesis. Right? And the Hebrew word for this is toledot. If you guys want to do a word study and um, you're wondering which Hebrew word it is, it's toledot. You'll find it translated, um, depending on your translation, as generations. And so in these generations, we'll see that talk about the generations of Adam and Noah and Shem and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So it usually follows the blessed line like we were talking about, um, but it'll also show other important characters like Ishmael or the other sons of Noah or Esau. But the point mainly of this word in Hebrew, Toledo, is to get us to focus on the promised seed. Because again, this is the answer to the conflict. So we see the author continually throw in this phrase. And um, about 100 to 200 years before the coming of Christ, there was a group of people who translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. And that translation is called the Septuagint. And in Genesis, where that Hebrew word Toledot was found, it was translated into Genesis. So the Greek word is Genesis. So that's how Genesis got its name in our Bibles today. But interesting enough, as you get into the Greek Bible, that is the New Testament, the first book you get to is Matthew. And Matthew, the very first line in his book says, the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ, that Greek word. Most translations, it'll say genealogy. And so Matthew is trying to get us to link the idea of Genesis, that one who was to come, the one who all these Toledotes are following, Matthew's book contains the answer. And interestingly enough, that um, to play a little numbers game here, Toledot, the generations of, um, that phrase is mentioned 11 times in Genesis. And Matthew marks the 12th time. And throughout Genesis, 12 is a pretty um, important number, like the 12 tribes or 12 sons of Israel as well as the 12 princes of Esau. And so Matthew wraps up a really big idea to Genesis saying um, the Toledotes are all looking towards this character, Jesus the Christ. We wanted to also touch on not just how Genesis is broken up thematically or broken up structurally by the use of the word generations of, but we also want to touch on a very big issue, and that's actually zooming out even farther than just the book of Genesis, but how does the book of Genesis fit into its placement now in Scripture? And so in Scripture, Genesis is actually located in what is known as the Torah, or you might have heard of it as the law in English. And so the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. So that includes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And like I said, often in our American evangelical circles, we'll call that the law. Oddly enough, 
as we've already discovered after having gone through Genesis, there isn't a single law, quote unquote, anywhere in the book, meaning that there's no laws as we see in, say, the ending of Exodus or in Leviticus. Instead, we actually have a narrative story, and we've gone through now a brief overview of that narrative story. Well, how is a narrative story law? And so first off, we need to kind of back up a little bit. Our English iteration of the word Torah is law isn't probably the best translation. Um, instead, Torah would be better translated as instruction. When you think of the word law, you probably think of something that's black and white. This is the rules. And if you break the rules, then something bad is going to happen to you. And it's not that the Torah doesn't contain things like that. But instead, Torah goes so much beyond that to a point where instead, Torah is really God's instruction to us. It's not just his rules and regulations, but instead, it's godly wisdom. It's meant to be meditated on as we've already discussed. And so because it's meant to be meditated on, it's written in such a way that it conveys godly wisdom each time you read it. So then how does Genesis fit into that? Corey, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, Genesis is constantly teaching us, right? And so um, and this is a really big point in um, books like Romans um, and even Hebrews, these books that look back on the story of the Old Testament and show us what we should have picked up. They're like interpretive guides and teachers. Um, but at the very beginning, like we talked about, what Genesis shows us um, it shows us a, a battle of two wisdoms. And I think that was one of our first podcast names. So it highlights godly wisdom. And that is modeled in uh, the tree of life or pretty much any other tree um, compared to eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And again, that um, really showed us, are you going to do what's right in your own eyes or do what's right in God's eyes? And this models to us godly wisdom very much an instruction right um so we have this failure at the tree of knowledge of good and evil um and we see throughout um the rest of the book we learn a lot from these characters not necessarily we learn how to live a godly life by following the ways of abraham or noah or isaac um, but we do learn a little something about um, how to be made righteous in God's eyes. And a really great verse and passage to look at is within uh, Genesis chapter 15. And God tells Abraham, amidst Abraham's doubting, um, that Abraham will have a offspring that God will bless and make him a great nation through. And all Abraham did in response to God's promise was believe. And the author writes um, in response to Abraham's belief is that that small bit of faith was credit to him as righteousness. So Abraham shows us how to be made righteous. And we often think that the Old Testament shows that 
Um, people were made righteous by following the law and through works. But that's not what the Torah taught. That's how a lot of Israelites interpreted the law. And that's why the prophets got so mad at them. It's why God, through the prophets, got so mad at the Israelites. Because he told them over and over again, it's your faith that makes one righteous. Right? So from the very beginning, people are made righteous by their faith. And God's grace is the one that grants them his righteousness. Um, another more simpler way of saying that is that um, the Torah is trying to teach us that people are saved by God's grace through faith, right? And that's just kind of um, reiterated by the giving of the blessing throughout. Um, so we see the blessing pass from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah, and they get these blessings despite their mistakes, if it was only based on works, then the blessing would not continue. Yeah, so it's really important when you are reading a particular biblical book, because each book actually has a narrative story arc in itself, it's really easy to get tempted and kind of get engulfed in the book itself without considering how it actually fits into the larger biblical Context, But remember, the Bible as a whole is a single unified story or narrative, meaning that each book not only contains narrative elements in and of itself that drive the story in that book, but also they contain elements and themes that go throughout the entire biblical story. And so when considering a biblical book and the themes therein, you should also take into account how it actually applies to the larger grouping of books and then the Bible as a whole. So how does Genesis fit into Torah if it doesn't contain what we would consider laws? Well, exactly like Corey said, it contains instruction. It is a narrative that is very much about a struggle between two wisdoms. You have godly wisdom on one hand, and then you have human wisdom on the other hand. This particular theme of a struggle between two wisdoms isn't unique to Genesis. This theme is introduced in Genesis and then goes throughout the entirety of Scripture. The conflict of Scripture is that humans are trying to choose their own wisdom over godly wisdom. The sinful condition that we're born into is our propensity to choose our own wisdom. If you don't know what the word propensity means, it's just our general desire to choose our own wisdom. We go for that first. And so because of this, Genesis illuminates to us, the reader, our own sinful condition. And so we can learn then from it by actually seeing characters who embody godly wisdom act that out. And we can learn what a godly wise choice would be and what a foolish human wisdom choice would be. And we can be instructed. The more we read it, the more we meditate on it, the more we can be instructed, the more we can pull out of it. So that's how it fits into Torah. One thing I actually skipped over here in our notes that I want to jump back to real quick because I think it's important are types of literature in Genesis and just types of literature in general. And so Genesis 
as with many other biblical books, have different types of literature in them. And each piece, each type of literature is used by the author to actually convey meaning. So you have poetry, narrative, and discourse as the three main types of literature that a biblical author could use. And so they often will utilize different types of literature to convey different meanings at different points. And so Genesis is no different. It actually begins and ends with poetry. And so it also utilizes changing in literature types. So for example, jumping to a section of poetry to emphasize key narrative details. And so as we go through the Bible as a whole, pay attention to the different times that the authors use different types of literature because they utilize it in order to convey different things throughout their story. I'm going to go ahead and stop there on that topic. I know Corey had a few things that he wanted to say there as well. So Corey, go ahead. Yeah. So one thing um, that uh, the way that the author of Genesis uses the changing of types of literature is that the first big chunk of poetry is the curses laid out in Genesis 3. So we get a big chunk of poetry to start off the book, and it's all curses to the serpent, to Adam, and to Eve. And then the book ends with a big chunk of poetry, which is Jacob blessing his sons. And so the first um, mark of poetry talks about the conflict and also the resolution that is um, the Messiah was promised in 315. And in Jacob's blessing of his sons, he promises the Messiah will come through the line of Judah. So um, in the beginning and the end, in these sections of poetry, the author is trying to emphasize um, humans have messed up God's good creation, but God will redeem it by his chosen seed, right? So um, poetry, at least in Genesis, marks the evilness um, that humans brought in and then God's plan to restore it with his chosen seed. So really big themes throughout Genesis are shown in the beginning and end, and they're really highlighted by these changes in literature. Yeah, so I thought that that was really important to jump back to. Sorry, I skipped out on that. Now, what we're going to be doing now, finally, to conclude the episode, is we're going to be going over a topic called the main idea. And so I'm going to introduce this, and then I'm going to let Corey go into it a little deeper. And so the main idea of each biblical book is basically the core of what the author is trying to say. And so when reading through the Bible, it is a really good idea if you, as the reader, try to concoct in your mind as you're going what you think the main idea is. And then once you conclude the book, write down a singular sentence of what you think the main idea is. And don't say something like, I think the main idea of the book of Genesis is instead, write down exactly, like very specifically, the book of Genesis, you know, the, so for example, Korah's main idea is the good creator God desires to bless and restore his creation and will use his chosen seed to do so. So when you're reading through these biblical books, 
try to pull out that singular sentence main idea so that as you're going through the scriptures, you can kind of look back at your list of main ideas of the different books and you can get a really good grasp of the flow of all of scripture simply by looking at the main ideas of the book. It also helps you to understand the book and to read it such that you are looking for those main themes and those main ideas so that you can actually craft your main idea. And so it's a really good habit to get into, and it really falls in line with what we're trying to advocate in this podcast of reading the Bible as a story. Each book is a narrative. It's a story that has an author that utilizes their words and their stories and their themes to create meaning. They're trying to get you to understand something. So when you're reading through, ask yourself, what are they trying to get me to understand? And so Corey's going to go ahead and jump into his main idea and give us a little bit more detail on this main idea topic. In the first episode, we laid out four steps to studying the Bible. And we haven't talked about that in a while. Um, but if you remember, the four steps that we uh, introduced in studying the Bible, it's just the vocabulary that we use is seeing, understanding, sharing, and responding. And in that first episode, I mentioned that a lot of times sharing is an overlooked step. A lot of times we, we see what's there and we understand the implications of it. And then we just go straight into responding in our lives. Um, but it's so easy to skip over sharing. And we mentioned that sharing um, isn't like me sharing my findings with you, the listeners of this podcast, but the shared truth is the truth that the author in scripture is sharing with us today. And um, it's pretty easy to go and look through some of the commands in like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and then look at a shared truth through that. You know, for example, Moses uh, is commanding the people, really God through Moses is commanding the people. And in, in these commands, he says something like, um, do not wear fabric woven with two different types of material. And so if you look at that today, you might scratch your head and think, what the heck? Why would God give such a command? Right? So as you look at that verse and the greater context, um, God's talking a lot about holiness. And then this context of holiness and that section of scripture God's wanting his people to be set apart from everyone else. So God's essentially telling his people, be set apart in every way from the people around you, even down to the things that you wear. And so does that apply to us in any way? Yeah, that every aspect of our being should be set apart for God. Now, can I wear my shirt that has cotton and polyester? Yeah, the problem isn't materials and clothing, the idea is be set apart and prayerfully consider everything in your life. Is everything in my life set apart for God? So that's the idea of these main ideas. It's um, taking the extra step. Once you read through a book of scripture and say, okay, what's the purpose of this being here? We, we already asked the question, okay, how does Genesis fit into the Torah, the first five books of scripture? But how does Genesis fit into the whole story? 
And why would God give us Genesis? And that might be kind of easy to ask about Genesis since it's the origin story and tells us the original conflict and God's plan to redeem it. Um, but as you're reading through the Bible, keep in mind, God only gave 66 books that are inspired by him, right? And so out of the millions and billions of books out there, these are the only books that are um, entirely reliable for God's word and his truth. And so if we want to really know God's word, if we really want to have a solid worldview um, that the Bible lays out, get to know each book and just take the extra step of condensing it into something palatable so that you know what the author's shared truth is with you. And I do it also to be able to easily share this with others. So, you know, the simpler, the better. And as you do this, you know, for each book of the Bible and come back to it, you realize that while a lot of books share similar themes, each book will have its own unique flavor to it or its own um, emphasis, right? So in my main idea of Genesis, I chose to call God the creator God. And I call his character good because as he creates in the first two chapters, everything he created was good. And um, the word blessing is like the next thing I use is because he uses the word blessing almost twice a chapter. And so I, I use words that are important to the storyline. And I try to get just a few important things. So defining who God is, he desires to bless and restore, and um, he's going to use his chosen seed to bless and restore. Um, I, I'll just read my whole sentence again. The good creator God desires to bless and restore his creation and will use his chosen seed to do so. Um, and I just encourage you guys, make your own main idea for Genesis. You kind of use mine as like a building block. And as you go through scripture, and I encourage you to continue to read through scripture as a story now that you've gone through Genesis, hopefully with us, and start implementing uh, this as an exercise. So the main idea of Genesis that we are coming away from in our podcast that we're concluding, the good creator God desires to bless and restore his creation and will use his chosen seed to do so. So in this episode, we went through and wrapped up Genesis. We talked about how Genesis is the book that begins everything. It introduces a lot of big themes that are going to be consistent throughout the Bible that we're going to see. It introduces the creator God who creates humans on the scene. It introduces the tension, the two wisdoms. Are you going to choose your wisdom or are you going to choose godly wisdom? It introduces the idea of instruction of characters who are actually seeking godly wisdom of characters who are seeking to do what is right in their own eyes. And it begs you to read it and to meditate on it. Don't just read it and be done with it. Even though it's a story and a narrative and you kind of read through it and you think you get everything, you read through it again and you realize you missed a bunch of stuff. Not only that, we're going to see as we go through the Torah, which is the placement of the book of Genesis, that Genesis references all of the other books of the Torah, or a bunch of them anyway. And a bunch of the books in the Torah 
reference Genesis. That's natural. Genesis was the beginning, but Genesis actually goes forward and references them. It's meant to be read and reread. That's the Torah. That's the Bible in general, but the Torah in particular. And so we talked about in this episode that Genesis is the first book of the Torah. The Torah, instead of being translated as law, as we often do in our American churches, it would be better to translate that word as instruction. It's God's instruction such that we can actually learn how to live a wise life and rely on God by meditating on his instruction. And so we're going to go ahead and wrap up there. Remember, guys, we're going through the scriptures as a story. Continue to look out for those narrative elements as you read Genesis yourself. Don't just rely on our word. Don't just think that Dylan and Corey are the end all in interpreting Genesis. Read it for yourself. Employ the Bible study methods that we have kind of imparted as we've read through Genesis for yourself so that you can actually get this stuff. If you disagree with us, great. We have an email address, scripturechronicles at gmail.com. We'd love to be wrong. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode and for listening to us through the book of Genesis. Next week, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but we're going to jump into Exodus. If you guys enjoy the podcast, please rate it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, same thing. That's the number one podcast portal. That's where everybody gets to see it. That's where it really kind of becomes visible. So if you're blessed by it and you want others to be blessed by it, go ahead and slap a rating on there. Uh, If you guys can, tell your friends about it, share it on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. That all helps out the show. If you guys do want to go a step further, you can pray for the show consistently. We love and covet your prayers. Also, if you do want to help support the show financially, it is paid for completely out of our own pockets. You can do that by going to the website, thebibleisastory.com, and clicking on Donate. And that helps support the show financially. Other than that, guys, we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. We hope that you guys enjoyed going through Genesis with us. We enjoyed going through Genesis with you guys. Shalom, Hadios Genesis. I mean, I think we said that last week. We, we did. But anyway, shalom, adios, for good. And guys, shalom, adios. Shalom, adios.